Well, good morning or good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you are listening to us. And today we're going to move on to Psalm chapter 5. Hopefully you've had a listen to some of our other podcasts, but if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to go on a short journey through the Psalms. So if you've got a Bible with you, maybe on your phone, or you've got an actual hard copy, why don't you turn to the scripture right now, have a good read through, and when you've got that in your mind, turn back on the podcast and we'll go through it together. Okay, hopefully you've had a good read of that. And Psalm 5 is another example, we might say, of another one of those psalms that really puts people off sometimes reading the psalms. Now, you may or may not feel like that, but often people look at these and they feel that they talk too much about the wrath of God. Maybe that they are really speaking about putting down and uh, a God who doesn't show the love and mercy that we as New Testament believers feel. And that's why so many Christians either dispose of the Old Testament or even suggest that really it has little to do or influence on Christianity. But friends, it simply isn't true. In fact, there are much of what comes through the Old Testament. In fact, all of our hopes and promises come through what we read in the Old Testament, remembering that the New Testament as a canon didn't exist. It didn't come together until the fourth century. So for 400 years, the Old Testament was all that the church did have. And that's important. You know, there are no promises that are directly spoken to the church, but they are spoken to Israel, to which we're grafted in. And it teaches us that in the book of Romans. Also, this is a psalm of David. Many of the psalms are, not all of them are, but many of them are. He was a poet of absolute extraordinary manner. And writing in the Hebrew, he would have made them have a rhythm and a a poet poetical style that would have been beautiful not just to read and to hear the parallelisms of thought the processes that are going on in our mind but actually just to hear and in the introduction uh, it says for flutes but many theologians actually say that it has the sound of bees now i don't know whether you sound the sound of bees pleasant maybe you would find the sound of bees a bit torturous but it isn't a reference to a swarm of bees of a lots of kind of noises, which, of course, are a bit distracting and off-putting, and particularly because bees can sting you and that isn't pleasant, so they always make you nervous when you're around. But it's the drawing to a, a summer's day, a, a perfect, quiet, tranquil. And, of course, bees go to the flowers, so uh, a beautiful, fragrant place to be. It is a place of rest. And so a psalm that talks about my enemies, about judgment, about not being righteous, is actually meant to make you go into a peaceful and tranquil and calm as though you sat in a beautiful garden on a warm, sunny day. And you don't have to mow it and you don't have to weed it. That's all done. But you're in the shade with a cool drink and your thoughts and processes are on the goodness of God. So if that's what it's supposed to sound like, why then doesn't the text seemingly join that in? Why is it, in a sense, so hard to read? You know, you've got uh, Jehovah will despise these kind of phrases. They don't they don't sit comfortably. So what is it that David wanted us to have? Well, he begins by really talking about his own situation. 
And for many uh, people, when they read Psalm 5, when they look to try and figure out, well, when did he write it? And anything I'm going to say now is just conjecture because there's no way that we can know one or why it was written. But it has that reference to what happens when somebody stabs you in the back, when somebody does something deceitful, when somebody uh, behaves in a wicked manner, when they had the right to do the good. And in David's life, he experienced that a number of times. He experienced it in 1 Samuel with Doeg the Edomite, who watched him as he ran to the tabernacle. He took bread from the priesthood, and then he used that occasion to improve his own lot, to tell Saul that it was these priests who helped him, and to even go and kill the priesthood, their family, and even their small children. Athipio, who was a man who one of the later psalms likens to being just like judas who was one of david's inner circle and then uses the opportunity of absalom's rebellion to further himself and then absalom himself who was david's own son and if you don't know about absalom well absalom sat at the gate of jerusalem and everybody who came in the gate they wanted to talk to david they wanted to ask some favors or they wanted to come and discuss a really difficult political situation what would the lord advise in this well absalom would stand at the gate and tell them david doesn't really care about you you know he's not interested in you you should come with me you should come my way and when i know that and read that about david in his life and if you think about people in their lives, when they have some kind of experience where somebody has so uh, done the dirty on them, they often become very negative. They struggle with trust issues. But David isn't a person that we see struggle with trust issues. See, when you struggle with trust issues, then you have absolutely little chance of bringing yourself into a tranquil and peaceful state of mind. Now, I'm not talking about meditation. We're talking about trust. And when you have lack of trust, then, of course, you are afraid of everything that is around you. But David is shared as a psalm here. And this psalm is to teach us about how it doesn't really matter the way that people behave around us, whether they are trustworthy or not trustworthy, because in the end, our faith and trust is in the Lord. Now, we can have a completely negative view and expect everybody to do the dirty on us, in which case we become untrusting. We can have a completely naive point of view, in which case we're convinced everybody will do as good and we're too trusting. Or we can have a middle road here, which is that, shall we say, uh, expect the worst, but hope for the best. And that might feel a bit oxymoronic, even contradictory how we can get in it. But it's the same as the phrase, love one another as the Lord loves you. You see, when we try to love, we try to look for something to love somebody about. But that phrase from John, which was the new commandment that Jesus gave to the church, well, it, it wasn't about uh, loving, finding something to love about people, because we don't always find that. The word is agape, it's a love that's only given by God, and it's actually this. 
love the Lord your God. And because we love the Lord, then we love other people. In other words, we do our work. We do what God has called us to do. We do that ministry for the Lord's name, even though it supports others, even though that may be for the use of other people. And that's what we do. And that's the way that we need to work and exist with regards to this. Now, when we know that and we have that in our hearts, then we can start to begin to move into the relationship the Lord wants us to. So here we have David and he talks about the morning and Psalm 3 talked about the morning, how he was so grateful for the reminded daily of what the smell, the, the blessing and that he couldn't wait to get back to the temple. Here he says, Lord, listen to my cry, uh, listen to my prayers, my voice, my voice, you will hear in the morning and I will direct my prayers to you. Now, this isn't a command to pray in the morning, but this is the understanding that God is always listening. And here's David starting his day by knowing that there is no part of the day that the Lord doesn't want to hear and wants to know. Now, David is hurting in his heart in a way that many of us, if not all of us, have at least in some way experienced somebody letting us down, somebody uh, taking advantage of us. We've, we've had that experience. It's a painful one. But then we read about Jesus and we know that there was nothing that we have experienced that he doesn't know of, that he doesn't know. And he experienced the same thing. We know the story the narrative of Judas. And it wasn't that Jesus had 11 friends and this guy who tagged along. He had 12 close friends who experienced and went through. And yet, Jesus experienced the betrayal of a kiss, the stabbing in the back, and all for money. All for pushing themselves, advancing themselves, by climbing over you. So David makes us a declaration here. And it starts really uh, from verse 4. The Lord, we know you are not a God that enjoys evil, nor shall evil dwell with you. And this is a reference to the ancient religions where the gods, the fates themselves, often were seen as wicked, as playing with man's hearts, as though it amuses them. And there can be times when things don't go our way or in particular when somebody stabs us in such a personal place that we come to the understanding that it isn't the person that is to blame. It's God that's to blame because either one, he's allowed this to happen or two, he's the person that's behind it. But the Lord doesn't enjoy wickedness and evil doesn't dwell with him. He is a righteous God. And it's that righteousness that now goes on. Because the Lord's going to destroy those who speak lies. And he'll despise the bloody and deceitful man. Again, this is a reference to the law given to Noah. The innocent blood being spilt, blood will be required of the person that spilt it. It's the law. As it stands, it's the law that exists right through. And we who are guilty of the death of Christ because he died for our sins, understand that he also paid that blood oath. So if we know the Lord is the one who's going to destroy people who speak lies, that he despises the bloody and deceitful man, 
then there's something that rises up inside you. Now, it could be just me, so I'm going to get on the honesty train here and say, you know what? I've told some lies in my life. I've been deceitful in my life. And so when I read a scripture like that, I'm immediately convinced that I am on the wrong side of God. Now, the law is designed to teach us that we're on the wrong side of God. But the law's job then, it teaches us in Galatians, is not to tell us that we need to be better people, but that we can't be better people. And it drives us like a school teacher with a cane, if you can remember them. It drives us to the cross of Jesus and we hold on to him and we say, Lord, you are the only righteous one. And when we do that, we come to the understanding that that is where we have to be. In verse 7, David says, In the abundance of your grace, I'll come into your house. I'll worship you in fear towards your holy temple. Please don't read into that as being, if we don't worship God, then bad things are going to happen to us. David is understanding his situation. It's only by the grace of God. Remember grace, the unmerited favor of God, the gift of God, which is that personal salvation. What does it do? Well, it makes us holy. But not holy as in we can now live the law. Not holy as in we've had a do-over so that we can try again. And the next time we fail, we go to Jesus and get a new do-over because we don't re-crucify him. But we understand that the grace of God says we are holy because we are in connection with him. And therefore, that's why we come into fear, into that worship, because when we connect in worship, we understand that we are invited into this place, but we don't have a right to be in that. Imagine a stranger coming into your house and they come into your house and they sit down and they uh, demand that you get them a drink. And then when you bring them a drink, they demand you bring them a better drink and that you get rid of the cups because this isn't good enough. And, and you should try harder. And, and it doesn't look very good around here. And why are the people that live in this house a bit mean? So often people do that with the, the church, with the Lord's kingdom. The true guest comes in and is humble. They don't look for the best seat, but they look to be honoured by the person that is looking after me. It is the contradiction of gift giving. The gift giver has no right. Sorry, the gift receiver has no right to expect anything from the gift giver. But the gift giver gives freely to those whom he loves. And that's exactly the case. David here makes the abundant clear that we need to be led in the path of righteousness because only God is righteous. Jesus said it in himself. Why do you call me good master? Only God is good. Now hold on to that. Only God is good. And once we understand that only God is good, then we can start to get the sense of what he is trying to say. Because of my enemies, he says, make your way straight before me. David is saying, Lord, adjust my actions, adjust my behavior, adjust my faith and trust in you because of them. In other words, don't let their hammer blows hurt you. And maybe you've heard that old phrase, six and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. But it's a lie because names, of course, do hurt us. Here David is saying, these men are speaking evil of me. And it's not that they were kind of speaking and nothing came of it. He ended up having to go on the run. His own son 
performed a civil war. A fifth mule helped him to start it. Doeg killed over 80 men, women and children. Goodness me, friends, they were great and wicked and evil acts, but God wasn't behind it. Instead, the Lord is with David. And David says, modify my behavior. Make it so that I have my trust in you and my enemies see that my unshakable trust in God is not taken. And the Lord will hold them guilty. And the reason that Ethipiel was brought in here in verse 10 is this idea of them falling on their own counsels. This is the reference to what happens when we don't modify our behaviour. When we go through with what Psalm 2 said, the, the nations raging and plotting a vain thing. They've got the way of salvation in front of them, but they're ignoring the way of salvation because they prefer the way of self and doing their own thing, enjoying their own experiences. And you might think, well, what's so wicked about wanting to enjoy your own experiences? And the answer is, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. If in the beginning of time, God created each one of us with a plan and a purpose, then not to be completing that plan and purpose means it's not just God that we're hurting, it's ourselves. So as David says, Lord, you're the righteous one. Lead me in those paths. Modify my behavior because we get the promise now in the last two verses. Listen to this, friends, in verse 11. Let all those who put their trust in you rejoice. That's not let all those who put their trust in you receive every good thing that they ever ask for. But that we rejoice. What is your prize that you're looking for? Is heaven the secondary gift to a God who can provide you with fancy things? Well, you need to modify that behavior. You need to come into worship with that uh, true sense of fear and trembling. Not fear and trembling because you're afraid of God, but fear and trembling that this is not somewhere you should be and you've been invited in. Now be a good guest. It says, let them always shout for joy because here's the promise. You always defend them. And you might think, well, how does the Lord defend us? And we read it in the book of Zechariah where the devil is in the spiritual, and Zechariah is getting to see this image, accusing the high priest Jonathan, showing that his clothes are filthy and dirty, saying all kinds of things and pointing out everything that he did. And the Lord says to him, I rebuke you, Satan. Now he doesn't say, I rebuke you, Satan, everything you're saying is a lie. You know what, friends, if people say, if the devil says, Jamie, you're a sinner, I have to hold my hands up and say, I am. He's right. But the Lord defends me and he stands up and he says, I rebuke you, Satan. I don't care what you see because this is what I see. I see somebody who has chosen my son and in choosing my son, I have made him holy and his righteousness is imputed. It's given to him. It's not his own. It's mine. And don't you accuse me. So we understand and joy should rise up in us, friends when we hear that great promise because the Lord will bless the righteous with favor and he will surround them with a shield. 
though we may have sticks and stones that break us and though names may hurt us we need to understand that the accusations and the crimes the lord has paid the price and so when we understand the path of the righteous well the path of the righteous is somebody who seeks after god and when he seeks after god he listens to what the lord says and his life will be modified but praise the lord we glorify him in this place because he is our shield and the best place to stand when you're holding a shield is of course behind it so let's get behind the lord i hope this has blessed you in the lord's name amen <laughs>